This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. To receive a free copy of Bob Buford's classic book, Halftime, moving from success to significance, just go to eternalleadership.com slash halftime. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and uh, John, we have a really fun interview today. I, I know where you get excited about all our interviews, but this is one that actually, as people can see from the time on the length of the show, this one's a little bit long because we kept going and going, and it was just a great conversation with Dave Yarns from Kingdom Business Association out in the Charlotte area. Oh, yeah. And, and my goodness, Dave is probably one of the most accomplished business guys. Worked his way up. How, <laughs> how many different industries has he worked in? Let's see. Oh, hotels, pharmaceuticals, banking, hedge funds, small companies, big companies. So, yes. you know, a lot of those things that we talk about all the time, right? How do we truly um, have excellence, right? Uh, professionally, personally, spiritually. But mm. this was such uh, an amazing conversation on practically how to do some of these things and that's what i love man i like like you know what where's the rubber meet the road what are those small steps that i can take away and actually something i can go do yeah my two biggest takeaways from this interview was dave feels we're on the verge of a reformation we're either just starting it or we're about to cross over into it, especially in the workplace, uh, it really integrating our faith into everything that we're doing. And then the importance of being a covert believer, not being overt with our faith, not having a fish on our on our business card or uh, or John 316 on our business card, but instead letting our excellence lead and 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 help establish uh, who we are as individuals. And then hopefully that leads to other conversations. Yeah. And the other thing that we talked about, uh, you know, and how to do that. And, and Dave really is just going to lay out, um, you know, he, what he found was there's three areas of life that he had to work in these three pillars. He had to shore up that facilitated not only his business success, but also his success in um, and having kingdom impact in every industry that he's worked in. And the first one was just his own spiritual development. But the other one was just that technical competence, that skill, right? Those business skills, whatever it happens to be in whatever job that we have. And then in the third area, right, we need to have technical competence, uh, but we also need to have skills in relationships. And that starts with our own self-mastery, mm -hmm. our own emotional intelligence, taking responsibility for who we are, how do we improve. And, you know, you guys were uh, – Dave is going to share one thing in this interview that if you take this away and do it, it's going to be simple to do, but it's going to give you some of the most powerful feedback yeah. and and information that you need to make a course correction. And some of us just need to make maybe make a little course correction, or some of us might have a big gap, and we need to just take that small step toward moving back toward what we call true north. And Dave's going to share exactly how he did that in a tool um, that you guys can use to do that. So I'm really excited to just share this conversation with you. Man, I, I have a couple pages of notes here from just from having this conversation with Dave. And uh, let me just turn it over to uh, the interview and just thank you guys all for being listeners. We'd love for you to tell a friend about this, forward the, an episode over to them, go on to iTunes and subscribe, um, leave us a, a rating or a review, but also let us know 
just send us an email, uh, john at eternalleadership.com or steve at eternalleadership.com. Let us know any topic, what we can do better to serve you. I, I guess that you'd like to have us on. Remember, we, we're, the, we're here just to serve you who's listening right now, and we just appreciate you and thank you for, for being part of the community. Today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, uh, we have a great episode today. We're going to be talking with our our friend Dave Yarns. Dave, welcome to the podcast. So great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh man, excited <laughs> yeah. to have you on. And we were just catching up uh, about some of the different people we know, Care here, Mini, and Lance Wallnow, and just uh, all these uh, different connections in common that we have. And Dave, I love your background because, you know, the whole mission here, you know, through the podcast, the whole reason, you know, Steve and I started this was how do we, you know, through this podcast, just equip and inspire everybody that's out there listening right there with what they need to fully step into what they're called to do in the kingdom. And, you know, our heart, yeah. you know, think about the seven mountains, a big part of our heart where Steve and I have been personally led is just in the areas of the marketplace, you know, business, uh, media and entertainment, and also the government in the military, and that's where we're working. But the thing is, you know, how do we bring that out, you know, fully uh, and do it well? And you have this really, yeah. and I'm excited because you got this unique background, and it's great for people to hear from people like yourself who've, you know, have had, you know, the success in business. And, you know, you've yeah. been a, a serial entrepreneur, and I love that title for the last 30 years. And, man, you have, wow, talk about some varied interests. You have started and owned everything from um, award-winning hotels, restaurants, hedge funds, a nationally chartered bank, a performing arts center, <laughs> a pharmaceutical company. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so so it, it, it's, either, it's either dramatically psychotic or there's some divine plan involved, you know, but uh, they're really disparate past, so... Yeah, there really are. You know, I'm sure just, if we could tease a thread out of there somewhere. Yeah, I, I just want to, just one thought, you know, I'm convinced when we look back years from now at the age that we're in, we're going to see this time like the Reformation. There's such a profound shift for people aligning themselves in the seven mountains, in the marketplace, in the workforce, uh, you know, from Main Street to Wall Street to uh, Capitol Hill. I'm convinced that we're going to look back. It's hard to see it while we're going through it, but this this is significant and pivotal. And I believe that you guys are really tapping into it. It's a now word. It's really what the Holy Spirit is speaking. So I applaud your efforts. Hmm. Well, thank, thank you, you very much. And, you know, when you say, you know, that's exactly, it's interesting. As I recovered from my accident and, you know, sometimes just getting through the next five or 10 minutes as I was recovering from yet another surgery. But I knew, you know, I always had this hope because God gave me this promise at my accident that he was going to heal me and use us for his glory. Now, the way he healed me was not the way I would have scripted it out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, that was something I needed to go through and and do myself. But I got to tell you, as I went through that, that whole sense of hope was rooted in this this like knowledge that God is moving big time in all everything that we're seeing this in the yeah, world right yeah. now this you know this leadership crisis the divisions in our cultures the social problems that we have that you know what that he is moving big time and right now it's this undercurrent that that hasn't 
you know, risen to the surface as much as some of us would like to, but it's exactly according to his plan. But there is something, we, we are right in the middle of something big happening. And I just always had that sense. And you talked about this Reformation being significant and pivotal. What, you know, what yeah, did you mean yeah, when you said that? Really. So, you know, let's, let's just kind of talk about that a little bit. I mean, there's, there's such a shifting in the last, God, 20 years or so, uh, where people are seeing their assignments so clearly now outside of the church and to whatever, you know, background you come from, you know, there's different theology, but surely the scripture says whatsoever you do, do it unto the Lord. And for a long time, myself, and I'm sure you guys and others felt the sense of like, Hey, I want to serve God with everything I have. I want my life to matter. I want to live a life of significance and impact. And But something told us that, hey, that has to happen with inside of the church walls. Now, that is, that is just that single change has spawned so many ministries, has spawned so many people really getting in their place in Wall Street and Main Street and Hollywood and saying, you know, this is where God called me, not in uh, so much a traditional church setting, but really being freed up to use their skill, their passion, their gifting, and, and to really make a difference. So one thing also I want to comment, you, you know, you said, well, we're not maybe seeing the impact. I think it's there. I really do. I think it's there. I think there are just a lot of people that have learned to operate somehow under the radar, where their life is filled with righteousness. They're expressing signs, wonders, and miracles in the name of Jesus, but they're not touting this big ichthus fish on their business card, or they're not, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, writing John three sixteen at the end of it. I've, I've just, I've just had the privilege of watching a lot of these guys in stealth yeah. mode because, you know, truth and righteousness is, is always, um, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to label it such. It just stands on its own. So I think it's a bigger, it's a bigger army than we can see. And of course the media does everything it can to downplay our effect, but we are a massive, uh, especially Christian business people. You know, I've been looking at some statistics lately. Um, you know, 50% of the GDP uh, roughly is composed of small is provided through small businesses. And m the majority of them, the vast majority of them are Christian owned. So these are businesses where the decisions are being made at the dinner table, largely with families. And, you know, you think about any town USA, the car dealerships, the small manufacturing places, the machine shops, the grocery store, this is the backbone of America. And I think we're kind of waking up and seeing not only the prowess that we have, but seeing the size, uh, you know, being kind of set free. I don't, I don't know exactly have the words. I'm sure you guys are much more articulate, but I have the passion and excitement. I'm just trying to find the language for it. <laughs> you, you know, just the, uh, you know, when you're talking about this impact and things happening, you know, just as a, a side note, um, Dave, my son is with uh, YWAM, Youth with a Mission. He's over in Dresden, Germany well. yeah. right now, working with uh, Syrian and Iraqi refugees. And the thing that's just kind of changed his his world and his life 
is getting to know a lot of these refugees, and a majority of them came to faith because um, Jesus appeared to them personally in dreams and visions, and that is this common story. And John's never heard of stories like this before. And also, the stories that he shared with me um, about what these people uh, have gone through, um, you know, for their faith, the persecution, the torture. I mean, the stories that he was just sharing with us over the last couple days, we were FaceTiming with them. And... I mean, just think about, you know, some of our brothers and sisters in the world, what they're going through for their faith. And then here we are in this first world country here, you know, in North America and Europe. And actually, we have listeners all across the world. And, and you know, it doesn't take that much to just in our own life, in our no. own sphere of influence, to take one small step forward toward the kingdom in relationship that actually starts to have, like you said, right? Use that skill, that gifting to have that impact, to have that influence. And that's really what we're what we're here to talk about today is how, you know how we do that. Yeah, how do we make it practical? But but that's an incredible story. I had heard rumors of that, but to hear it firsthand, you know, where the Lord is appearing to people. But uh, John, I think I think what's happening is, uh, you know, I, I just want to relate a story. I had worked really hard to open up a brand new hotel. I, I was a new hotel owner worked really hard, you know, polishing that thing, you know, all my money's invested in it and wanting to win the quality excellence award, which is like the Grammys or the Super Bowl of hotel ownership. Uh, you know, once a year, people come from around the world and compete. And uh, I went on to win it two out of five years. It was a really big accomplishment for me. But the process that I went through of hiring Christian people that were misplaced and then having to kind of let them go and look at how to champion righteousness, uncompromising, but yet not fly an ichthus fish flag on the front of the door, but being in an environment where I saw people come to the Lord uh, truly just by asking me what was different about us and our organization. Mm-hmm. It was like a magnet drawing them. It was an incredible time. And, uh, you know, I think, I think if we each really believe that if we can get in our spot, our place of assignment, as our friend Lance Walnow says, or that proximity to your destiny, if you can get there, it unleashes the power of God in amazing ways. You know, I, I love that, the, you know, place of assignment. The other thing, too, is uh, I'm just thinking of this term, right? What is our individual unique value? And, you know, it's really kind of getting that yeah. self-awareness of kind of, you know, who we are um, or or a better way to at, maybe ask that question is, you know, who did God create me to be? And then what did he create yeah, me to yeah. do? Right, because that's often different uh, than than our our own view of things. Because we have all this stuff in the world that's kind of been piled in over time. Some of these things are not true. There's these lies that we've actually accepted as truths into our identity, and you know we gotta we gotta pull that stuff away. And that's what we talked to Luke about. And I know that you you know you talk about you know all these different you know struggles that you've had in your journey as the serial entrepreneur. Um, was really learning how to develop your own sense of, you know, spirituality, you know, what your skills were and self-mastery, um, you know, as you went yeah, through this journey. Yeah. And, and what, what did that look like for you as you, you know, 
worked in those different areas? Well, first of all, that was a, that was a big one. And, you know, part of the passion for me writing and uh, working with the Kingdom Business Association and Morningstar really, really, when you get down to it, is to help people avoid some of the mistakes that I made. Um, you know, I feel like, I feel like recovery is great, but avoidance is a lot better. You know, if you can have somebody warn you about something, I think that's, that's powerful. So a lot of the background that I had, um, I did a lot with finance. I owned a hedge fund. Uh, I was, uh, an owner of a, a national bank and, uh, you know, had some other interests. But noodling this thing through of how do I express my faith, how does this business really impact the, the kingdom of God, and how do I look at life practically? You know, what matters to me? Who, who am I truly? I mean, at the end of the day, what are the important relationships in my life? What am I called to do, to be, to have? Um, and, and kind of breaking out of a mold, because uh, quite honestly, when I was starting, when I was going through this, the Christian marketplace ministry shelf on the bookstore was pretty thin. You had maybe one book by my great friend, Ed Silvoso, mm. you know, just a couple of people talking about marketplace ministry, where now there's just, you know, a plethora of great books. But uh, my desire is really to make things practical and help people kind of ask some of these profound questions. You know, how do I get there? How do I know that I'm in the spot that God has called me to be? How do I make practical steps forward in advancement? Uh, what does that look like? How can I write these things down? How can I make them plain? How can I kind of recover from setback when, you know, I'm doing everything I know to do, but still I don't feel like I'm moving ahead. What does that look like? So, I mean, that's a number of conversations, but I think generally as the church, I'd really like us to all take a step towards making things more practical. I think we can be inspiring. I think we can put, you know, you know, really get some ideals out there, but generally speaking, if people are like me, you know, I'm sitting in the seat saying, can you break this down for me? Can you give me steps that start right from where I'm at today that I can make progress very practically, very, uh, you know, methodically. And, uh, that's what I've been trying to do for the last three years, uh, three or four years. I've been writing a couple of books. It took me a lot longer, uh, than it should have, you know, but, <laughs> uh, really putting a lot of time into, you know, kind of defining this, how does this look practically? And, um, you know, uh, not as a, a plug for uh, my new book, but I'm excited about it. Don't get me wrong. But I, f I feel it, it really broke down for me in three intersecting circles, spirituality, skill, and personal development. Because I began to see that uh, the people that I, were, I was hiring first out were great spiritual people. And I loved them and I knew they loved God. But I only had to let them go several months later because they lacked personal development and they lacked skill. Mm. And I started to kind of think this thing through. Well, well, what does that look like? And you can have people that are highly skilled and you'll have them on your team. They just need to get to know the Lord. They're not spiritual at all. And, you know, all those three circles, come, when they come together, when people begin to focus on them, especially self-development, you know, as Christians, we kind of leave that out sometimes. 
What does my emotional intelligence look like? How can I grow in that? How can I get areas of feedback into my life so I can have a third party perspective, like sitting in the room, watching how I look, how I interact, the vibe that I throw off, managing that vibe. I mean, I know this sounds, you know, maybe a little bit new agey, but that was the single biggest determinant to my success, I believe, just understanding self-development, personal development in relationship to spiritual things and skill development. I think, so for me, maybe I'm a simple guy, but those three intersecting circles were really a way for me to build a grid where now I can look at practically, okay, how am I building my spirituality practically? How am I advancing my skill set practically? And in what areas am I engaged in self-development? You know, it's interesting that you bring up this concept of, of feedback. Uh, you know, when we're working with teams um, in corporate America and with the government, uh, I always ask this question, uh, you know, do you think all personal feedback is relevant? And I, usually it's about 67% wow. of the, the room says, no, it's not relevant. And what I tell yeah. them is, you know, my our our belief is it absolutely is relevant because there's two kinds of feedback, right? One could be maybe some tough feedback that I need to hear, but you know, I I agree with it. Like when I was younger, there was somebody that actually it changed the trajectory of my life. I'm glad he did it. It was in my senior year in in uh, high school and youth group, and one of the guys who I really respected just came up to me and, and just said, "Ramstead, the reason you don't have any friends is you're a jerk." And man, that stung. <laughs> but but That's constructive criticism but for you. Know what? But I was just sarcastic, and I was always kind of negative. And I realized, well, this is why I don't have any friends. So I made some big switch changes as I, you know, moved up into college. Totally, you know, changed the kind of you know life and friendships I had. But there's also the kind of feedback that it comes in, and we don't agree with it, so we immediately dismiss it. And what I tell people is, you know, yeah. if you're getting feedback from people and you solicit it, and even if you don't agree with it, it's relevant to the relationship that you have with somebody else, because that is something, regardless of whether it might be true, it might not be true, but it's how they're experiencing us. So, um, but yeah, you know, understanding yeah. think, some of these things is really important for us to showing up as our best self. That is how we truly increase our influence it, in this. It really is. It really is. And I've found that people will seek advice from the person most likely to give them the advice they wanted in the first place. You know, if you want to condone something, you find the most liberal friend in your group and you ask him about it. Uh, but here's, here's a trick that, uh, we've taught our people, you know, a lot of the material that I'm teaching now has come out of a 20 year, uh, development seminar that I do called the destiny weekend. So it's CEOs from around the world come together and a lot of the material I've taken because people give me feedback. So imagine for 20 years, people saying, I liked this. I didn't like this. This part was good to me. And then we would reshuffle the deck. And uh, so here's one that we use at those weekends. We train people. We talk to people in an executive coaching standpoint to go to someone, um, you know, a couple people that are, uh, you know, good friends of theirs, but also people that they respect, but are somehow, you know, maybe not the closest friends and ask them the following thing. Will you give me three areas of my life that you think I excel at? And then will you give me three areas in my life that you think I need to develop? And here's the kick. So you sit there 
and you go through the three things. You want people to get the, the good things out first. It gets the engine going. So they go, oh, yeah, I think you're smart. I think this. All right, what about the three things that I really need to develop? And you, you let them, you just sit there, no matter how difficult it is, you sit on your hands, whatever you have to do. And when they come to the end of the third, you go, is there a fourth? And at that moment in time, when they tell you the fourth thing that was unsolicited and they bring it out, that is gold. I've seen it over and over again. Because the first three things will kind of be, you know, generally they're placating a little bit. They're just dancing around. But when they bring out that fourth thing, if you can take it and you can reel it in, it will give you perspective. You'll begin to see yourself um, with more emotional intelligence probably you ever have in your life. And this is one of the things that was really helpful for me. I tend to be uh, real passionate, um, you know, a lot of high energy. And what I didn't realize is in a meeting, I could bowl people over mm. and I could, I couldn't see myself, you know, I couldn't see myself clearly in the vibe that I was giving off until I started to solicit feedback. I'd take someone aside and I'd say, Hey, John, you know, when I was talking about the new pharmaceutical launch, I saw everybody kind of calm down and pull away from the table. You know, what was that? And then I, you know, I'd kind of work with them a little bit. And then someone would say, honestly, Dave, you're not seeing the level of passion you have. It's hard for people to disagree with you. You've got to solicit their input in a different way. And that stuff was gold to me. It began to radically change my life when I got these cues. And I you know, was real practical about them. I'd write them down. I would make note of how I wanted to change. And I would see the results. Well, I was just thinking, right, Steve, you know, are, are, you, are you ready to go ask uh, some real close friends those three areas you need to develop? <laughs> Oh, that I'm, I'm right. I wrote it down because I, I, I thought of four people already that I could ask that, ask those questions of what, what a great yeah, next then, step, but, you know, and, but you know, that's also, you know, you have to be in a place you gotta, you, you, you need to approach a conversation like that, you know, with humility, um, you know, and being willing to listen. Um, cause if you start to hear some of that feedback, you might not agree with, and you get into a debate, you're, you're not going to serve yourself. Yeah. You know, it's not just, it's, it's about your ability to receive that feedback too. You know, it's about being in an emotional state where someone can criticize me and it doesn't affect me emotionally because here's the key. You know, I listen to a lot of what I would consider disempowering conversation. My husband made me angry. My boss really frustrates me. Uh, this person really makes me feel obsolete and lonely. Can anybody really do that to me? No. The answer is no. It's always my choice. Between stimulus and response lies our human capacity to choose. If your husband does something and maybe he, you know, maybe he does stuff that's, you know, uh, stupid like a lot of our husbands do, you know, I'm, I'm one of them. You're always making a choice. I'm angry. And at that point in time, your emotional intelligence begins to narrow. You can't glean from the situation. You can't think of proactive ways out of it. And in some way, we relinquish our rights. If, if I say, well, you know, uh, my boss always makes me angry. I've given up my ability to choose my proactivity and I've given it to him. Anytime he wants, he can make me angry. 
But if I said, you know what, in that instance, I chose to get angry. In that instance, I chose to, you know, to pull back. Now it becomes empowering. Now I can work on strategies and tactics. How am I not going to do that in the future? So, I mean, I really like the thing where you ask, you ask the three positive things, the three areas where you need change, and then you, you ask them for the fourth. That's gold. But part of the exercise is developing a group of people that are whole enough and sound enough and in control enough to receive feedback, um, especially as we, we inhabit a world with such divergent uh, worldviews. I find that sometimes Christians are terrible at approaching people with a completely different worldview. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't ask a lot of qualifying questions. They don't give them unconditional positive regard that we need to give to every human being. They're not, you know, being, you know, inquisitive. Instead, they feel like if, you know, let's take someone that's uh, maybe LGBTQ and they come up and, you know, immediately you see a Christian saying why that lifestyle is wrong and how they need to change and talking about judgment instead of saying, hey, listen, I've never met anybody like you. Can you tell me what your life is like or can you tell me how you view Christians? Can you tell me what your, you know, your view of eternity is? And not doing it in a, a way where you're, you're trying to trick them in a conversation, but truly being empathetic. I guarantee you, John and Steve, when people do that, they'll let the air back in the room. You'll find this medium of exchange. But I think sometimes we feel threatened when someone starts to tell me something that I don't want to hear. I, mm-hmm. think, I think our emotional intelligence uh, you know, really needs to grow in that area. So, you know, when you were, because you started out the story with the hotel, and it sounds like that was kind of a, a real kind of, uh, you know, a, a forge that yeah. uh, you really developed a lot of skills and, you know, applied a lot of this, learned a lot. So, you know, a, yeah. a big part of our audience, you know, they're business owners, they're people that eventually want to be, you know, business owners, they're working in companies. You know, what did it look like to really, you know, in that environment where you just have people from across the spectrum of faith, religions, backgrounds, beliefs? Yeah, yeah. You know, what are some of the things that you did to create the, the, that culture that you were ultimately striving for, Dave? Yeah, so the, the, the real key here is uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with the hotel business, when you're competing for excellence— you're judged on everything, uh, threads in the carpet, what you put out for breakfast, the chlorine content in your pool, and they're sending corporate people in to grade you, quality of your rooms, quality of your servant service. They're also sending secret shoppers in, people that are going through your hotel, experiencing things, and everybody is grading you. It's the most empirical process you could ever imagine. And not only that, but I see other hotels that I'm competing against from around the world, from L.A. and, you know, different places where they're edging me out because they're a little bit better. I mean, you have to have 98 percent to kind of get in that category on all levels. And then they're rewarding people with these reward club cards to fill out surveys. So I, I was never, ever in a business where there was that instantaneous feedback ever in my life. And I realized a couple of things. One, you can't just throw money at the problem. You know, sooner or later, you're going to go home and you're relying on your staff to continue with your core values, 
your ideas of shaping culture and influencing people. You're, you know, I mean, you're going to leave and you can't just throw money at you. You can't just pay them. You, I, I swear to you, it's true. I would watch the scores change. And then I realize, ah, the change has to come from me. If I'm going to do this thing, I've got to be the best transformational leader I can be. I can set clear goals, have high expectations, stir emotions, inspire people, clearly communicate, set a good example. You know, if I want people to get in at 7 a.m., they better see my car in the parking lot. You know, uh, you know, how can I have recognition in the right way where it comes off as sincere? Um, how can I set goals in such a way that they're fair and they have integrity? Those kind of things started to change me. So that's why the hotel business uh, for me uh, was really a, a catalyst. Uh, it was really a changing point. And then I started to look at, okay, so why are a lot of my Christian friends that I'm hiring not doing well in this com- competitive environment where we're competing for excellence? And I think it was because they failed to build skills. They failed to look at personal development. They're highly spiritual, but those other areas of their life were emaciated. So from there started a lifelong journey of saying, okay, how do we get this together? How do we really make mm. Christian employees the best we can? Mm-hmm. How do we get people to inspire, you know, to be at the top of their profession, um, you know, so I, you know, I think it was the empiricism, it was the grading of the hotel business that really uh, got me started. You know, is, is part of that process, you know, as you're kind of looking at your folks, do you also kind of have this lens? You know, you talked about earlier, right? How do I know if I'm in that place where God wanted, you know, you to be? Are you also, you know, getting to know them, develop their own self mastery with how you're interacting with them? connect to their skills so that they can also kind of say, you know, where is my seat on the bus here, you know, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah. And I think for a lot of our listeners that are CEOs or business owners, human resource management comes down to really, first of all, starting to get the right person in the right spot. And the hotel business has a lot of, let's be frank. I mean, a lot of, uh, not, you know, low paying jobs. I mean, they don't pay a lot of money. You know, there's porters, there's people that make up the rooms. Um, and a lot of times there's a high degree of turnover, but you had to look for people that really uh, fit. You can't work the front desk of a hotel. If you're by nature, you know, God created you to be shy and more reflective. It's just not the place for you. You might need the work. You might like it, but you know, you're going to be frustrated. I'm going to be frustrated as the employer. So, you know, kind of going through this area of self-discovery and then from there, you know, kind of teaching people skills. I'm just, as we're talking, I'm thinking of this one moment where I had a a manager that I really uh, incentivized to hit certain goals each quarter. But one of the goals was, um, you know, keeping turnover down. Turnover in business is extremely costly. Uh, just a, a person to work your pool. Um, you have to send them to school. They have to go and train with another hotel to learn how to run the pool and all the safety. So by the time you're getting them in your hotel where they're actually working, you might be ten or $15,000 into them already. And if you keep turning those people over, it's extremely costly. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, I was talking with a manager about how do we keep turnover at, you know, uh, at, a, at a low. And we were frustrated. She was frustrated. I was frustrated. Quarter after quarter, we had a lot of turnover. And one day I came to this revelation. Uh, we were, it was late at night. We were going through the reports. And I turned to her and I said, so what do you think it is? Why are we turning people over so quickly in this market? And she turned to me in frustration. Her guard was down. She said, you know what? People in this city are just dumb as a bag of rocks. These are the most idiotic people. And I, I'm like, bingo, I got it. There's something in her. And the way she was viewing people, you know, people are smart. Yeah. They can understand, you know, you know, there's an old Chinese proverb that says, I can't hear what you're saying because who you are is yelling too loudly. And that's what was happening with her. She went in with this preconditioned idea that these people were untrainable, that they were, you know, meant to be turned over, that they're somehow. And when we began to work on that and we began to, you know, employ some skills, unconditional positive regard, always treating people with respect in every environment, regardless of their job, appreciative inquiry, where we're asking positive questions of people of how we can get better. When we started to turn that corner, our uh, turnover dropped and our excellence scores just began to skyrocket. Yeah, think, think about this. You know, when we communicate, you know, face-to-face, only 7% mm-hmm. of, you know, if you look at how the brain processes communication, only 7% is the actual words that we're hearing from, let's say, if, if you're having a conversation with me. 55% is the the other person's body language. 38% is that tone of voice. And Dale Carnegie talks about this in that famous book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. If I'm talking negative about you to Steve, and then, I, and then you and I are showing up and having a one-on-one conversation, you're going to sense the fact that there's something yeah, about absolutely. John that's not that doesn't like me, or he's judging me, or he doesn't think I'm doing a good job, or I'm not qualified, and... And, you know, uh, you know, another thing to throw out there, too, is just far as, you know, companies, millennials, 93% of millennials on day one make a choice of whether they're going to stay at a place. They're looking at wow. their interactions. They're looking at their boss. They're looking at the culture. You know, are they going to, you know, run home and call their mom or their friends and say, man, I just found the most awesome place. You guys got to come check it out. Or are they going to go home and go, yeah, I wonder what's next. This isn't, this isn't long-term for me. But when you can walk into an environment where there's people like, you know, what you're talking about, what you've developed, that are sincerely interested in each other. Because I think this foundation you're talking about, and this is what Christ modeled, is really developed on getting to know people authentically, building relationships yeah. at, at work, which a lot of people think, you know, is a, is kind of a, uh, a foreign concept to some people, which kind of surprises me still. But even yeah, big organizations yeah. I work with, and we're talking about some of the things that you're sharing, they just feel like, well, if I do that, if I really care about other people, help them develop in their skills, do well in their job, yeah. what's that going to mean to me? But that's the wrong perspective, isn't it? Yeah, and I, th- I think we fall into this false, you know, kind of dichotomy where. I either have great concern for people or I have great concern for production. And, you know, we've kind of labeled these. If you just have concern for people and you're just trying to pastor your uh, employees, which a lot of us do when we're 
uh, when we're, we have a, a Christ-centered background, you become the country club culture. Everybody loves working there, but nothing ever gets done. You know, on the other side of the spectrum is this concern for production. You know, we want to be number one. We want to get the product out. We want to be a top seller. And, you know, there's this, uh, there's this sense of, like, what have you done for me lately? Uh, churn and burn people. But I think you can have both. I think the secret is having high concern for production while you have a high concern for people. And I see a lot of studies out there that talk of uh, Blake Mountain, their transformational leadership grid is one of them. It talks about, you know, marrying those two things together and inspiring people. Yeah, hey, we want to get along. We want to have the best place. We want to be rated number one in our employee satisfaction, but we also want to be rated number one in our customer satisfaction. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, you, you mentioned right before we, we got started, because I know you're a humble guy, but, uh, you know, your book, The Three Circle Strategy for a Fulfilling Life, has just taken off. It's at number one now. Why do you, why do you think this is like this message that's resonating in in the marketplace so you know so loudly right now? What is it about yeah. this message that's really connecting to you know mm. some of the gaps that people have? Well, I you know I first of all it, it's it's hard when you're writing to see how it's going to impact people, and I am really proud of our team for getting it to hit number one on Amazon. You know, and uh, you know how it is that. You don't stay there for long. You jockey up and down. But to see that badge come out was, was incredibly fulfilling. You know, we're trying to make things practical. Uh, we're trying to use language that whether, and I know this might, uh, might be uh, a little bit difficult for some of our audience, but there, there really is no, uh, not a lot of or any use of scripture in the book. They're uh, eternal, um, transformative truths of God and we talk about God a lot. We talk about developing a spiritual relationship with God, but we wanted to make it a, a kind of a book that you could give to your neighbor and you'd feel proud of giving it to them. But regardless of their background or their religious persuasion, they could pick the thing up and they could begin to develop their walk with God. So we worked really hard on that. And I think, uh, you know, I think people are responding to it. Uh, there's also a free workbook. Uh, that goes with the book. You download it for free, and it talks about how to develop your life plan, how to think about what things really matter most to you, what are the important roles, how can you develop a plan for them, how can you maximize your time and recover from setback. And, you know, really creating that personal workbook, I think, was a real uh, big factor in the success, at least I'd hope to believe. I'm reading a lot of the comments that are coming back now on Amazon and people that are emailing us. And uh, I think those are the things that are, uh, you know, I hear words like practical. I hear words like uh, short, you know, it, it's uh, the book is fairly short. We try to keep it concise. Um, you know, uh, I, a lot of people are saying that even though they're not Christian, uh, they found the book really uh, powerful for them. There wasn't anything that was overly offensive in it or hard to understand. So I think that's been some of the reasons for the success. Well, yeah, and and I think, you know, as you talked about, you know, when we start to get some, you know, some awareness in these areas, right? We're growing spiritually. We understand our gifts, our strengths, our skills, our passions. Uh, and then we also then start taking personal responsibility. Like you, like, 
Uh, I heard somebody yeah. say just the other day, you know, to a two-year-old, you make me so angry. And I was thinking to myself, it wasn't, it was in public. Wow. I'm thinking, wow, really, you're going to completely cede the control of you as an adult to a two-year-old. But I think that's probably a story a lot of people can relate to. But, you know, accepting responsibility, for, first of all, for our own thoughts, feelings, and then the actions we take that are always rooted in that, right? If something happens and I have a yeah, thought that I'm yeah. offended or disrespected, my feeling is anger, and now I'm acting from a place of anger, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, that's where I'm going to come from. So what, what if we yeah. start taking responsibility for changing that? And then, you know, especially if we're comfortable reaching out to some of our friends that can share some of those things we need to work on, is what if we now actively yeah. pursue better right. thoughts, feelings, and actions, right? And so and, and yeah. that's something that I really, in my own life, that, you know, partnering with Jesus in that walk and, and lifting those things up to him to understand what, what a, not only to accept those, but how, what does a better one look like, right? Transforming my mind, you know, there's, a, there's so many things, those that's little things that we that can do, right, Dave? Yeah. Yeah, that, that really is the key. You know, uh, you know, first of all, there's always choice involved. You know, uh, there's always choice, no matter what the situation is. We always have the ability to choose how we view other people, to choose how we're going to react. But I think a lot of it, you know, renewing our mind, I think, I think that what we're seeing is there's a lot of self-talk going through people's minds, how they're judging themselves, how they're judging others, you know, this conversation is going on at thousands of words per minute internally. And then when we see an instant like that, where someone says to a little child, you know, you're always making me angry. We actually get a, a, a visual kind of understanding of what's going through in their eternal process of their self-talk. And I talk about, talk about self-talk a lot. It sounds uh, funny, but you know, for me, that was a big one. Uh, examining kind of the self-talk, you know, cues to changing that self-talk um, because it, it happens to all of us. I mean, some of the most tragic examples, you know, just recently we see these celebrities in uh, that are in the news and they take their life. Well, you think they're, they're excellent at communicating to other people and excellent at making people laugh, but somehow there was self-talk that they couldn't manage. They were telling themselves something. There was this recording playing that really needed to be unearthed. And I think engaging people in the process of personal development, learning some cues, even just being conscious. I mean, just the first step, the very basic step, just being conscious about some of this kind of defeatist talk that goes on, becoming aware of it is one of the most profound steps to success, you know, and, uh, I think, uh, was Warren Bennis talked about, he said that, uh, de uh, depending on how you measure it, emotional intelligence has probably as much as 80% determination of success, much more than mm -hmm. IQ. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this, this process of, of learning and, you know, because, uh, no matter where you go, there you are. Yeah. You know, we see these people, they're put in different situations and they're like, Dave, everybody around me is, you know, angry and everybody around me is frustrated. And I go to another place and they're all frustrated. And, you know, after a while, you're like, you know what? There's a common denominator here, Fred. You know, it's you. 
Yeah. Perhaps you're the catalyst. You're the one bringing this thing in. And, you know, do you have the ability the, uh, to, you know, the process to learn how to change that? Well, and here, you know, I'm, you know, both of us, uh, Dave, as executive coaches, um, and I have a coach, I, I've had a coach for years, we meet every couple of weeks. A lot of these things that we're talking about, to have somebody else who's really alongside us in the journey for me has been such a powerful catalyst, you know, to make some changes. But, um, and I, I need to get this study and, and see if I can share it with you. But my, my coach, Cheryl, was telling me recently that Stanford did a study of a thousand, I think it was just over a thousand different leaders and all kinds, you know, all across the different seven mountains, media, government, business, entertainment, you know, ministry. And they were looking if there was a common thread of success, right? And you can imagine all kinds of different, you know, backgrounds, introverts, extroverts, transactional people, highly relational people, yada, yada, yada. And the one common thread, they did find one common thread and it was that, uh, and it's self-awareness. And that's exactly what you're talking about, right? And which is actually that first step in emotional intelligence. So, you know, the good news out of there is, think about everybody out there, is, as you move into this area and start to work in this area of self-mastery, as Dave talks about, you know, that is just one of those foundational building blocks to really build a lot of success into your life in, in, in the areas that are important to you. And I thought that was just incredibly encouraging. Yeah. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? You know? Um, well, I think, I think there's, there's four steps and I talk about this in my book. Uh, and the, the first step is unconscious incompetence. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what I don't know. And I'm bad at it. So those it's are, like, are, are, those are, are those our blind spots? Yeah. And I think they're just possibly things that in the, the hustle and bustle of life, we never think about, we never get around to, uh, you know, kind of asking the question, but it doesn't seem like there's a significant change, but the next step becomes conscious incompetence. So there's incompetence at both levels, but one is unconscious. One is conscious. When all of a sudden, I don't know how to change. I don't even know where to go, but I'm starting to be, I start to be awoken to some major deficits, some areas of change. And that's a good place to be because the third step becomes conscious competence where I can begin to work on these things, develop strategies. I know a strategy for me in a meeting, if I get uh, overly emotionally energized, I just need to take a break. I'll say, hey, you know, I need to go and you know, hit the restroom or I'm going to get a cup of coffee because I realize that I'm losing self-awareness in that. I'm focusing too much. My passion which is a strength, is being played over to a weakness. And after we practice things, these things for a while, the true sense of mastery becomes unconscious competence, where we're fluent. We are fluid. And you watch people that have, they, they navigate with such grace, and they, they show a sense of influence, and they're shaping the world around them. They're proactive. They're inspirational. They're providing recognition. They work, they walk with humility. I guarantee you those things came as developed skills. Some of them, they might've had a natural propensity or some great mentors, but 99% of the time they're areas that we need to work on. We need to unearth. So 
maybe someone on the, on the uh, podcast today is going from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence where you're having this breakthrough moment going, you know what? I think there might be an area of my life, right? <laughs> uh, take some uh, self-evaluation. That's awesome. Now, uh, you also, just to kind of shift gears here, because we're, we've been talking for so long, I could talk for a couple more hours. Um, I, you know, you're at the Kingdom Business Association, and I'd love for you just to share a little bit also, kind of, you know, what you're doing at, at KBA, just let uh, more people know about it. Yeah, yeah, the Kingdom Business Association, we started, gosh, some 12 years ago, and it was originally just a number of guys getting together, guys and gals getting together, where we started to talk about these ideas of, you know, excellence in the workplace, influence, shaping culture, uh, you know, how do we aspire to be the best we can be, but yet do it in a way that is kingdom-based. And that grew and grew, and now we have members from all over the world. And a couple of things that I think differentiate us uh, significantly. One, we really uh, believe significantly in the prophetic. Over and over again, I'm hearing uh, people throughout our organization that have had significant either prophetic words or revelation or, I mean, incredible stories like yourself where the Lord himself actually speaks to people. And we're trying to kind of bring that out. How do we work in the supernatural? How do we work in the area of prophetic? And the other thing is that we're trying to really build relationship. So our conferences, our meetings uh, really are focused on bringing people together because I know uh, John and Steve, when I was at my lowest point where I was frustrated, I thought about giving up. You guys could give me one of your books and that would be great. But you know what was better if I could call you and just say, hey, man, this is where I'm at. I'm discouraged. I, you know, I, I, I need to be stimulated here. Can you help me out? And that's the power of relationship if we can link people together. Mm-hmm. Hey, we've got a great free resource. I don't know if I can mention it, but yeah, I will. Please. It's kbapowerup.com. kbapowerup.com. It's a, three, it's a free 30-day just kind of inspirational messages that come to you for 30 days. It's free, nothing to join, nothing to buy. It's myself, Lance Wallnow, some other great leaders. Just give you, we email you a little snippet, an audio uh, burst in the morning, um, and that's been doing really great. So you can find out about us at kbapowerup.com, or you can look at us at kbabiz.com and see our website and everything that's related there. Really watching it grow as the mm-hmm. marketplace is becoming more and more a focal point, I think, of the kingdom. Yeah, and I would encourage folks out there, you know, find a, a KBA near you. We have uh, one here in Colorado. It's just been fat, fantastic to meet and get to know people that are part of that, part of that community, other people that are on the same journey that you're on, sharing sharing war stories, sharing encouragement. Uh, it's just an incredible right. organization, man. And thank you for you know, what you're doing there. Uh, it's, uh, it is so needed in this world today. And I think, you know, like you said, all these things are coming together, like this reformation. It's, it's, there's something happening right now. I think we're going to look back 20 years from now and going, wow, we were there for, you're right for that and what happened. And you're right. And you know what, what I think right now, and this is just my, my sense, right? The reason that God kept me breathing and living on this, this earth is, Right now, he needs people to just step up and be impact players in the kingdom. And, 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 and I love the book, Not a Fan, 
right? It's, uh, you know, mm. God doesn't need us to be the fans in the stands watching the game. He wants us to jump wow, out Wow, that's the fans, a great concept. Yep, yeah. And get out on the playing field. And you know what? Find find that place, that unique position, you know, but get out on the field and make a difference. And everything that you're talking about are so many just little practical steps that each one of us can do to actually start bringing, you know, that personal faith, that inner stuff and bringing it, you know, bringing it out into the lives of others, the cultures that we touch. And, you know, I, you know, as I work with people, sometimes we're working with a team of, let's say new hires at an organization, they might be frustrated with their leadership. And there's so much that you can do to influence culture, regardless of your position in the org chart. It's all about who you're showing up as, what you do, and how you do it. And if you can just keep getting better at what you do, whether you're the CEO or you're that, you know, the new person, and then help somebody else to become their best version of themselves, and then you just keep, you know, you just keep building on that. So there's there's so much that we can each be doing. Um, and and I just have this picture someday, Dave, that you know, as we do that. Uh, I'd love if God can show us that ripple effect, that conversation, right? You talked about, you know, you have a, a conversation with somebody, you know, um, LGBTQ, right? I remember sharing my whole story, my testimony, my accident, yes. everything with uh, a woman who was ultra liberal. And she had asked me about it. And two days later, I got a, a letter in the mail. It was a two-page letter. And she was thanking me because she said she had never had a wow. conversation with a Christian where she didn't feel judged and she was actually able to wow. ask some of her questions. And I got to tell you, when See I first that? read it, I felt yeah. I was sad. I'm like, you know what? That is how we're, if, if, yeah. if that's how people have represented Christ to, to people that they don't agree with, do you think we're ever going to have influence uh, in other lives mm -hmm. if we're constantly condemning, criticizing, judging, complaining? Amen. That, that's not a uh, a place of impact and influence. Yeah, yeah. And isn't that isn't that interesting that she would say that? And I, I find that's that's it. You know, there's with without emotional intelligence, without developing empathy, we're we're like standing on two sides of a cavern. You know, a, a big chasm. We're each on cliffs and we're saying, why don't you understand me? Come over here. And the other person is saying the same thing. But with that ability to have empathy, to really, you know, just want to see the world through someone's lens to, you know, to not start off with uh, judgment and which is easy for all of us, but to start off with, you know, this positive regard, like, Hey, I just want to know who you are. I want to, I want to like Covey used to say, seek first to understand then to be understood, you know, because you check that box in people's lives where they go, you know what, regardless of John's uh, religious beliefs or Steve's religious beliefs, I really felt like they took the time uh, to understand me. That box is checked. And now exchange of communication and ideas can take place at an incredible rate. Yeah. It's like John Maxwell always says, right? You have to connect before you can pull. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. Well, well, hey, just, you know, as we wrap up, right, people, you know, K, I just want to let people know, right, kbapowerup.com. And you can also free find resource. out free resource. You can also find out more about Dave, Dave Yarns, Y-A-R-N-E-S, Y is in Yankee, DaveYarns.com. 
and uh, you also have a life application guide there that you can download. And, it's free. That's right. Yep. And if you go to uh, 3cplan.com, which is the website for the book, and you get the book there, right? There's uh, $64 in free resources you get as you order that book. And so I just want to let everybody know about that. And just as we wrap up, Dave, just any final thoughts or comments for everybody who's been listening uh, in with us for the last hour? Well, I mean, you know, my, my heart always goes to just, just don't, you know, don't get too overwhelmed with things. Sometimes change can be just so overwhelming, but I, I guarantee you, if you take small steps towards God today and you know, you might, you might not even know where your Bible is that you haven't read it in so long, or you might not have time to pray or might be dealing with disappointment or a loved one is frustrated. I so want to encourage you that just make a step towards God today. Just even if it's just taking a couple of seconds in your car before you go into the office, if you're frustrated, let them know, Lord, I'm frustrated. I need your help. God is just there. I just feel a sense of nearness over people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, don't, 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 you know, try to compare yourself to some spiritual super giants like Steve and John, you know, I mean, it takes a while, but you know, really a big step for you might be just taking a little bit of time in prayer uh, today, even if it's just a small time or just, you know, getting on a podcast or, or getting on something and committing um, those small steps really, really add up and they make a difference. Wow. What a great mm. way to end. That is so true. Just small things. Realize God is right there. He's near. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I like what you said too, right? If you're frustrated, you know, I got to tell you, just recovering from my accident, I didn't realize it was hard for me to admit, but man, I, what I had to go through, uh, I was ang- angry at God, and it was coming out in my other relationships in my life. But God already knew. So sometimes just you know, sharing our feelings and what's really going on, man, it can be one yeah. of the most healing things, one of those small steps that is really powerful. Agreed. Agreed. Well, David, and, you th- know, thanks to you guys for doing this. It's an amazing resource. Well, our pleasure, man. We love it. It's a it's a labor of love, and uh, we we hear we get to you know hear and talk with people from all over the world, and it's it's just been an incredible journey for Steve and I to to kind of follow God's direction and to you know putting this podcast together. Well, thanks for having me on. It's just been an incredible time, and and uh, really, I just passionate about the subject matter, and and uh, I'm going to refer all my friends to the podcast. Well, well, hey, <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> All right, Dave, you are awesome. Thank you, my man. You're welcome, guys. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. This edition of Eternal Leadership has been brought to you by Halftime Institute. In 1994, Bob Buford penned the book halftime moving from success to significance and in the more than 20 years since then more than three quarters of a million copies have been sold it's touched baby boomers in the 90s and it's now touching the lives of both gen xers who are in that midlife season asking is this all there is as well as baby boomers who are searching for significance in retirement 
to get a free copy of the book, just go to returnalleadership.com slash halftime. And after you read it, if you have any questions, you can have a no obligation one hour of halftime coaching. Eternalleadership.com slash halftime. You can't beat getting a free bestseller. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.